now we're now we're gonna try that again. Welcome to Feather and Mountain Podcast, Season Two, Episode Eight. I am your host, Delusions of Grendel, and with me, as always, is Graham Confusion. Hey, how you doing? Welcome to my home. Thanks for having me and hosting us in this lovely closet. Uh, I say us because it's not just us two today. We are also joined once again by Peregrine over in the corner. Yes, you brought me back. Stuck me in a corner. I'm okay with it. Well, you're not baby, so here we are. Here we are. Here we are. So, Feather Mountain Podcast is a podcast typically all about the Wheel of Time on Amazon Prime. (laughs) Soon we'll get there. Uh, Breaking down the show from the perspective of a veteran reader and a never reader. We're doing something a little bit different while we wait on the release date of Season 2 of The Wheel of Time. We are now doing Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power on Amazon Prime. And today we are talking about Episode 8... Alloyed. Back to their A's. I don't know, Paragon, are you annoyed at Alloyed? Or were you uh, happy with Overjoyed by Alloyed. By the name or by the episode? Yes. (laughs) Uh, The name was an interesting choice. It's cute. In that it made a lot of sense on first watch with this one. Still not sure about episode 7 with the eye. So, you know hit and miss on on the naming of the episodes. We did see um, Sauron's eye. We did. With the burning fires of Mount Doom. Yeah, that was a fun little transition. That was cute. Uh, um, I I mean, yeah, whether they're aligned or allied uh, or tied together by an alloy, I thought it was, I think it's a clever name for this particular episode. And it's good to get them back in their A phase. So four of the eight episodes start with an A. And uh, we're back... Not only with an A name, but also back with our boy Wayne Yip. Wayne Yip. Who directed this final episode, not Charlotte Brandstrom, as I initially thought. Although I think she did do three episodes in the first season. I can't remember what her other one was, or maybe it was just six and seven. Just six and seven. Just six and seven. Hmm. Then I must have read a wrong article. There are those out there. They do exist. I guess before we dive in to what actually happened this episode, you two as actual Tolkien nerds and fans of the world and knowers of things, uh, what was your impression? What'd you like? What didn't work for you? Final thoughts as uh, that song took us into the end credits. The only thing about Sauron that didn't work for me is that you don't find out what he is yet so he's not uh one of the high the high forms of life like morgoth was the valar the valar but i think he must be a wizard of some level because Um, he's like so an isatar a mayar i believe of which the istar are a group are part of that right but they didn't really get into that. I was hoping for a little more. Maybe that's will come in season two or season three. Uh, so getting who he was, uh, and they kept it with the he. Uh, they showed some of his mind tricks and everything. Uh, I thought that all that part was pretty good. So yeah, that, that would be the only thing that I missed. I I I I like the fact that he was in plain sight through the entire episode. He was actually part of episode one. Uh, all the way through, and he was in every episode. Uh, well played and, and well acted by Charlie. I mean, 
it was good. I, I, and all the other plots, um, were great. I, I just thought Galadriel was, uh, was great. There was some chatter about ups and downs. According to one person, Tolkien said Galadriel was not fooled by Sauron. She wasn't fooled, but she didn't identify him right away, but she still wasn't fooled. She didn't buy into his thing. She didn't get aligned with him at all. So I would say, she, you know, Tolkien said he wasn't fooled. She wasn't fooled by him. I, I agree with that. She wasn't fooled with him, but she was deceived by him. But that's different. Like, that is what he does. He's a deceiver. Um, so, anyway, that, that was my take. Lots of ups and downs. Uh, a lot. I found more tie-ins this episode to lines yes. from the movies and from the books than in any other episode. Uh, so that was neat to see. And then it leaves a lot of questions open for season two. The thing I don't like about that is we don't know when season two is yet. And some of those are minor things. So will people forget about them by the time season two comes around? Maybe that's the point, And they want you to rewatch before it comes out. Which I will. Likely. I will say. And that, that's one other thing I noticed with this season as a whole is they got better at changing the format from a traditional TV show to a streaming-style TV show. And what I mean by that, there was lots of subtle hints that you just see on passing that, you know, in your regular TV-style watch, you couldn't pause and zoom in on, where here you really can, and you can watch multiple times whenever you want. So I think the showrunners are getting better at adapting to their medium and their audience, uh, which is good to see. It's still a newer style, I'll say, where not every streaming show goes that way. Uh, so it's not perfect, but lots of fun little uh, little things. I, I would also say through the season, they uh, stopped the heavy moments of drama, cut, cutting from scene to scene, and they just let it flow. So every every scene didn't have to end with a, oh, what's going to happen next? And it, they just let it flow and let the story roll. It was much, much better as it went along. So I think they, they adapted and learned uh, from the first couple of episodes. What I did read in an interview with the actor that plays um, Hallbrand slash Sauron uh, was that they had filmed the first two episodes and then it went on hiatus because of COVID. Even in New Zealand? Yeah. And then they got back together and then, and I do think there was a change after episode two and how it was constructed and laid out and stuff. So I think they probably did a little regroup workshop kind of thinking after episode two and then they replanned. And I would say from episode three beyond, it was a much more consistent flow and a much better, more mature product, I would say. They learned uh, after that. So I, I didn't realize there was a pause in the filming, but uh, that indeed was the case. Yeah, I don't anticipate it was a very long pause, but... Um... Several months. Oh. Yeah, hmm. that's what Charlie said. Hmm. And they're filming right now, uh, although, again, the Sauron actor, Charlie, I can't remember his last Vickers. name. Vic Vickers. Vickers, thank you. Uh, he said that he hasn't done a whole bunch yet, uh, but he's starting to get... His stuff is coming up next, so he's going to have to leave home and do stuff. And trot off to trot the UK off. or yes. maybe back to New Zealand because we know Morphid Clark is in the UK right now. Well, she is a Scottish lady. So. Uh, Swedish? I think she's Scottish. No, she is Swedish, but oh, that then was raised the in France. That was the director. Oh, yeah. Mm, I thought she was Swedish. Swedish-born Welsh, Welsh actors. Okay, sure. 
It works. My biggest takeaway from this episode is that I was fucking right! I was right. I was right. I was right. I was right. Sovereign baby. I was right. I was right. I was right. Yeah. Okay. There was that. And and perhaps, I, well, my first instinct on Starman was that it was Gandalf. And I said, no, no, no. That's not how Gandalf would come. He'd be, he would have more awareness, blah, blah, blah. But I guess is when the Ishtar come, they, they come in a blaze of light. Um, and if people don't know why I'm saying he's Gandalf, uh, it's a direct reference to the movie. And there's no way that every wizard would say that. I saw a lot of chatter on online about this, too. Well, he's a wizard for sure, but we don't know that he's Gandalf. Who else would say, follow your nose? And that is a line that is only in the movies. It was not in the books. So it was just too too drawn to it. Even, too on the nose? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not disappointed that he's Gandalf. I just thought they would create another wizard uh, to do it. So, but. Which they still could. I mean, there was a lot of symbolism for Gandalf. They also uh, used the moth symbolism. Oh, yeah. Um, but the one thing that Gandalf does say uh, is to the east he went not, for he had no names out there. Uh, after he comes back as Gandalf the White, he lists some of his names, Grey Pilgrim and stuff like that. But he right. specifically says he didn't go to the east, which is where the stranger is going now. Does he make it? We don't know. Well, he's going east in Middle Earth. He hasn't gone beyond Middle Earth yet. So Interesting. Well... Shall we get into it then? Let's get into Let's it. Let's get into it. Do you want to end with Gandalf? Do you want to middle him? We can start with Numenor because not too much happens there. Well, you know, we could start with uh, Ronwyn. Oh. Uh, sadly. What about Durin? Uh, uh, yeah, missed, missed, some, missed some fun pet chaps this episode. I was mistaken. I thought that we were going to get minimal Nori and Harfoots. Um, instead, we got no Durin and no Aronwin, uh, I guess just because they're on their way. So we really, didn't, we really didn't need to wrap up their storyline for season one because it's kind of already wrapped up. No Zuldur either. No Zuldur. I know. I was surprised. I, was I, guess that's, I guess that's season two. Maybe it'll be the open for season two. I don't uh, know. I really Charlie really Vickers know. says the open is him planning, setting up his plans in Mordor for his next step. He said that in, in that interview, that the mm. opening se sequence of season two focuses on Sauron and him starting his planning in, in Mordor. So Okay. All right. But anyway, at some point in episode one, season two, well, we if will we're reconnect. In, we're, if we're in Mordor, then I do expect to see Beric. Yes. And that's what I will wait for. And what about Adar? Who gives a fuck about Adar? I don't know, but he also wasn't in episode eight. He kind of, no. I think, they, didn't we glance at him? I've no. only watched it once on this one. Sorry, folks. I usually have it a couple of times, but my schedule did not permit this time. Uh, no, we only, we didn't see him at all. Um, we only were in Mordor at the end with Hallbrand staring, or Sauron, I guess, uh, staring at Mount Doom. And that's all we see of it. We did end the last episode with Adar. Right, and his little Mordor speech. That's right. Yes. Yeah, let's start with Numenor, since not too much happened, but I think it's going to well, be fun for... Yeah, that's I think it's going to be a fun one for season two. Uh, yeah, so my... Again, that if I go off plot a little bit, you'll have to bring me back just because my level of detail on every point is not as sharp as it should be. But uh, the to me, the three big... Obviously, the king dies, mm -hmm. 
And uh, Miriel finds out as they come into the harbor, which is interesting because it didn't have a lot of screen time this time either. But the biggest one to me is uh, Isildur's daughter, Erin. Erin. Elendil's daughter. Elendil's daughter. Yeah, sorry. Elendil's daughter, Erin. See briefly, huge plot point. Don't see her again. Exactly. (laughs) I know. Yeah, don't touch the Palantir. But anyway, she walks in, it's uncovered, and then she has. That they leave us hanging, but that could be potentially a massive thing. And I was reading one tweet, which I thought was uh, pretty funny. I think it was when the person was watching it, they tweeted out and they had a, a screenshot of her standing in front of the Palantir. Two, two, two lines. When you know, when do you follow evil up the stairs? And uh, you, you know, like, is that ever a good thing to do? No. And this is not going to end well, <laughs> what they yeah. said. So, but it's interesting. So she's going to get more stuff. She was kind of weak at the end of her last scene that we saw her in, and that she was supporting Kemen and wanting to prevent the uh, the war from happening or the attack. Uh, it's going to get more robust for her, but it's going to be interesting to see because she's going to be way over her head with the Palantir, and she's going to see futures and stuff, and then start acting irrationally. So it's that's going to be bizarre. I have no idea where it's going to go, but obviously a season two opening thing. Things will happen. Or, yeah, in the first episode. But they didn't even show, correct me if I'm wrong, they didn't even show Elendil um, telling Muriel, the queen, that her father was dead, did they? They showed all the black things hanging and and all that stuff. And a very, like, a look from Elendil that you can surmise. Which we could pick up, but I don't know that the blind queen could pick up. She picked up something because I think her final line was, what's wrong? Yeah. As Elendil walked uh, away from her. Yeah. Um, So we open in Numenor. We open it with Farazhan, and he's talking about making a statue of the king. Yes. Which I thought was bizarre to say the least he is scared of mortality he wants Ah. to live forever so oh that explains his seduction the the thing with Numenor they're not allowed to go west to where the elves go and the great I keep calling it Valyria because I'm also watching House of the Dragon at the same time but it's Valinor yes yes uh they're forbidden to go west but that also kind of represents immortality to them. And right. I think we were given a couple hints of Farazhan kind of going in that direction uh, with the king's likeness that will live on forever in stone, something not even a king could do. And knowing Farazhan, like his plotting and stuff, he also cries at the king's death. And I don't think he's doing that for the person. I think he's doing that because he realizes that death is inevitable. Even if you're the king. Even if you're the king. So he sees a path to ascend to being the king. He doesn't know how to conquer his fears. Maybe there are ways to do that with the unseen world, and that's how he gets seduced and really brings about the fall of Numenor. But I think that is the key to his downfall. Okay. Essentially. So that's why he calls in basically the best of the best. And Aaron, I guess it's been a few months really since she started being a builder's apprentice. Right. But apparently she's, you know, cream of the crop. She rides to the top and she is there to gather the king's likeness for the sculptors. And they all get an hour with the king while he just lays in bed on a snooze cruise. So she's there with the king, and uh, naturally he confuses her with Muriel, starts talking a little bit crazy. 
I know what you have been doing in the dark of night when you thought all eyes were asleep was one of the things he said to her. And then she's like, I know I'm not. And he goes, you're not the queen yet. I know, Muriel. And then, you know, he kind of gives her the, the biggest caution, which is if the old ways of our people are not soon restored, our island will fall. Go on up. Don't look for too long. It will ruin you like it's ruined me, but go have fun. Uh, and that's where we leave her, like we talked about. So thoughts on this Palantir and how she's going to be able to handle it. And also where is she going to fall or where is she going to land knowing that the island will fall? Is she going to see that great wave that we know Muriel saw and Galadriel saw? So Muriel saw it uh, in her own dreams. She didn't see it from the Palantir, right? Uh, I can't remember how Galadriel saw it. Through the Palantir. She saw it through the Palantir. Because I thought Muriel had brought her up and had said, <laughs> oh, like, look, okay. look at this. Yeah, I think and how Muriel, Muriel saw it in the dream, but she'd previously Pre- seen Yeah, we didn't see okay. Muriel see it in the Palantir, but we can see And us. with the Palantir, if you cannot see, can you see into the Palantir with your mind? Mm. I don't know. And I, how will it be interpreted if you don't have that sight yes. per se? It'll also be interesting to see when Sauron gets his Palantir and which one he gets. So but interesting parallels to Denethor. Yes. As well mm-hmm. from Lord of the Rings who gets really caught up in the Palantir. But Numenor should have crazy. a good run still because they have a lot to do before they have their fall, right? I mean, they have to build Minas Tirith. They've got to help build some of the towers in Mordor. They, they've got a lot of things in to Mordor? do. Uh, or um, minus Morgul. Minus Morgul. Minus, 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 yeah, it was minus I remember. I, yeah. I think it, I think it was Osterith. If you looked at the base, I, that's been my assumption. I don't because I think Osterith is inside of Mordor, and minus oh. Ithil minus Morgul is. On oh, is that where Sirith? Uh, well, it's where Sirith Ungol is, right? So that's minus Morgul is just below where Shelob. Yeah. Resides. So I guess that was the climb in. So that makes sense, right? It was on the outside. Yes. But could be used as inspiration for it. But that also means, like, if they're going, depending on how they go about doing that, at some point, Gondor and the Numenorians have to push into Mordor. It can't just be Sauron's right. lair. And I can't remember when they actually build that tower. Uh, if it's after the fall and they build it to protect Mordor, to prevent people from coming back, or if it is uh, built around the same time. Because the other thing with the timeline, Bronwyn in episode seven mentions they're going to Pelargar, which is an old Numenor port. So we know Numenor's already been there. And Pelargar is where Aragorn lands after taking the Paths of the Dead. He gets on the ships, comes into Pelargar, defeats the Corsairs with... Legolas and Gimli and right. uh, the dead army, and then makes their way to... Goes up the river. Uh, minus Tirith. Uh, through Osgiliath, right? Because he comes across he comes across the plains. So from Osgiliath to Minas Tirith. Yeah, because Osgiliath yeah. Uh, on the on the river. I understand all of this. We know Pelargar is already there, so I think they're playing with it a little bit. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So anyway, there's still lots to go with Numenor. It'll take a while for the fall to come about, is what I'm trying to say. They've got you've got a few seasons, I would think. Although I've been so wrong on my timing before. Oof. Uh, but because they've got lots of stuff to build. But what's what's um, Saruman's tower called? Because his tower has to be built too. And I, but I believe that might be the elves. That one's not Osgiliath. 
Isengard. Isengard, yes. Isengard has to be built too. Uh, so all these things have to happen yet, yes. Right. So with Aaron and the Palantir, I'm not... I think it's an interesting point to leave her at, just because maybe she'll... Her and Kevin will be at odds, perhaps, in season two, and the great breakup as they maybe each argue for the position of their own fathers, who are going to be, I suspect, Buddy foes heads. in uh, They in will very much two. be foes, and maybe that's why Ellen Dill leaves. But uh, Well, you never know what she sees, either, because she could see something as simple as Isildur still being alive, and right. she talks to Ellen Dill about that, and he, he decides to go back, right. supported by... Pharaoh's on me, like, yeah, yeah, go, please, by all means. Right. Leave the blind queen with me. I definitely won't manipulate her. But the blind, don't forget the blind queen wants to return with an army, right? A bigger army, not yeah. just the kids. Yeah. So lots, I'm, I'm interested. Numenor has interested me from the moment we saw it on screen, and I continue to be intrigued by the politicking there. I think season two will be a lot of Pharaoh's on. I and think I so think too. People will love it. I think the actor is really jazzed at his pot, as, at his role, and, uh, Going through. And by the way, in in that Charlie Vickers interview, I can. It's a like it. variety, I believe. It is brilliant because he he said he didn't know he was Sauron uh, until just recently, like to a lot to the last couple of episodes. He kind of knew, but they they kept that from him. But he said it was interesting when he tried out. Uh, they had him read two different chapters, but Paradise Lost, he was the devil, <laughs> and I can't remember who he was on the good side. But he said it made him kind of wonder why he had to read that scene as being the devil in his in his audition and then he figured well i must have an evil twist in my thing but he didn't figure out that he was sauron until they told him and i so. should have asked me yeah i think the way that they revealed it too uh in that interview i think he talks about it that they took him to the set that we see galadriel at in episode one uh with the forge and all that and they took charlie vickers there and were basically like this is yours. He's like, wait, what? <laughs> oh, yeah, very cool. And and a lot of the a lot of the characters don't know what's happening to them until they get the script for that episode. So they're keeping it very tight, so the actors don't even. It know. sounds very Game of Thrones. Very Game like of Thrones. Like Amelia so. Clark didn't know spoilers for season eight. Amelia Clark didn't know uh, what was happening with Danny until she got the final episode script. Oh, really? Mm. And very similar here. Uh, Morphid Clark didn't know she was Galadriel. Uh, until they started filming. Oh, really? She thought she was uh, Calabrian, who really? is Galadriel's daughter. Yes. Uh, just based on how it was, was read. So they are being very cagey with that, uh, which also means that we could have people like Celeborn cast and filming right now. Right. With no idea. Right. Hilarious. Could be. Could be. We will see. So with respect to... Numenor, the last little bit. So we, we've spent time on the island. We've covered that. Uh, then we go back to the ship. Uh, we see Valandil, who still very much looks in pain to have lost, you know, both of his best friends. He's coming back alone. It's a little drizzly, setting the mood. We go uh, beneath, below deck, and Muriel is there, and she's pacing off steps right. and practicing walking and measuring distances. And her and Elendil, Elendil have a really cute moment. Um, you know, he asks her, do you know why I pulled Galadriel out of the sea? And he says, because Elendil does not merely mean one who loves the stars. 
And of course, we know because of his conversation with Galadriel, it also means elf friend. So I thought that was a nice little nod and homage that even though, or note that even though Elendil is pissed at Galadriel and has lost his son, he still intends to serve and they both need to do their duty. They will be returning as much as it pains both of them, I think, to go back. So I really liked the more I see Elendil and Muriel together, I really just like their dynamic. I'm not sure if they're going to make it a romantic one or not. Whatever it is right now, platonic with an edge. Uh, I'm really enjoying okay, that. Okay, on that one, I definitely felt the sexual. Oh, pleasure. you guess? Oh, come on. <laughs> I just see besties. Although I will say both of them saying come what may. I don't know if we have any fans of Moulin Rouge in this room, <laughs> but it gave me some Ewan McGregor vibes. Come what may. So maybe, maybe sexual tension. Uh, and then, of course, we see the banners uh, that are all black. I was watching this on the airplane the first time, so I, and like my my daughter woke up, so I was like trying to make sure she didn't crawl off the seat to her death and then also finish the episode. So I didn't fully understand that the king had died until we saw Farazan standing over top of him. It's right. also a callback <laughs> to a line Farazan says when he's talking to the apprentices that the black flags will fly yes, in the harbor. That makes sense. Yeah. Good. So it's just that little hint and then they show it. Black flags in the harbor. It's a thing. And there it is. Yeah, and the bell toll for the death of the king. And then giant explosion. Yeah, fun segue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's, yeah, that's where we leave Numenor. So we've talked kind of already about our predictions for next season. I think Numenor is going to be fun. Yes. And by fun, I mean, if you don't like political intrigue, Perhaps it won't be the plot for you. Yeah, true enough. Uh, but I think it's going to be a lot of like witty conversation and some bantering and more. I mean, lots more Farazon next year. Tons more Farazon and really good chemistry. <laughs> I'm intrigued. Yes, I'm intrigued to see when they will actually go back to Middle Earth because I mm -hmm. think in Tolkien's lore, when Elendil leaves Numenor before the fall. His ship gets separated from Isildur's. Elendil lands in the north. Isildur lands in the south. And they kind of set up their own kingdoms. So Isildur sets up Gondor. And Elendil uh, sets up Arnor with his other son. And Elendil... Who we haven't met yet. We have not met yet. But they've talked about. They've talked about. Yes. And we don't know what he did to, like, kind of be the black sheep of the family, it seems like. Because Elendil keeps saying to Isildur, like, you suggesting that you don't want to be like your brother when whenever Isildur does something or, like, looks to the West. So, I don't know. I'm intrigued by that as well. Yeah, so I don't know if they'll set up Isildur establishing Gondor to start. And then when Elendil comes back, they go to, like, Linden with the elves and they're more in the north and they do that. And they won't find out Isildur is alive until they cross paths in a battle or something like that or if they'll sail back immediately to the south and work it that way yeah i mean that sounds like 
they could take it in either direction. I just don't know what would play. It could also for be TV. just timing, right? Like you know, Ellendale may go back, pick up Isildur, and then they return later, right? Like there, yep. there could be a whole bunch of different timing things. They can play with a bunch of stuff. So lots happening there. Yeah. Let's move on from Numenor to the Stranger, the uh, Aesthetic, yes. oh, so the Nomad, and the Dweller. So not in this case, but my prediction wasn't too bad. I didn't know who he would run into as they made his thing. Obviously, it was the Slim Shady motherfuckers that he ran into. And we got to see a lot more of them, although we don't, at least I don't know who they are. Uh, so uh, they were finally named in this, and that was, it was fun. Um, so the subtitles started talking, and the, in the subtitles, it names them as the Aesthetic and the Nomad. So those are the the two who had words. The Dweller is the one who's like Marshall Mathers with no words. And so the name The Dweller doesn't come up in the subtitles. But if you're watching on Amazon Prime and you can access X-Ray, when we first see them at the beginning, because the episode opens with the stranger, Gandalf, I'll call him, Ishtar, if you're fancy. It opens with Gandalf. He thinks he sees Nori. He chases her. And then, of course, it's a Slim Shady motherfucker. Uh, disguising himself as Nor or themselves as Nori, and then we hear in Quenya like Lord Sauron, we've come to serve you. And at that moment in the X-ray, they're still not named as what they are. So later on, when as soon as they have a speaking part on X-ray, is when we learn that they are called the Ascetic, the Nomad, and the Dweller. Yes, and they are just a trio, I think, of dark elves. You think who they're served, also Moriandors? Who served Morgoth. That's what Wiki told. So the more Moriandor. Could be, sure, why not? And But they were certainly thinking, obviously, that the Starman was Sauron. And they even said it, oh, well, you're Sauron. And they were like, no, he's not. Like I, I, That didn't fool me. I when, <laughs> when they said that at the beginning of the episode, I was like, if this is seriously... If the big this, reveal? If this is the reveal, I am giving up on this show like that is no i refuse to believe this luckily i have not given up on the show and i will persevere because again i was right so the interesting part about that that whole plot line they never interact with any of the other characters no it seems to me the only purpose of that plot line is to to reveal gandalf sorry the wizard well it's to be a red herring red herring for who sauron is Maybe more will get revealed from that later. And like, there's obviously lots of lore and bits in there. But if you cut out that plot line, it does not impact the rest of the show. Not at all. No. Which is an interesting choice. And Gandalf be be rid of them, right? Like he actually turned one into... I think he, all Moth. three of them. And then, yeah. I think and when they did disappear, that scream they made, very reminiscent of the wraiths right also mm. when they were stabbed let out that screen that's very reminiscent of the wraiths and then kind of transformed into that wraith-like appearance so while they came from the east in rune i believe they were part of sauron's experiments in the north to first test the unseen world so right. we, we, may, we may hear more about them is what you're i don't think we'll Not... necessarily hear more about them but they're like an early experiment in his transition to 
wraiths and stuff like that. The other thing that's interesting about them is they are shapeshifters. Yes, that was, that, yeah. that was interesting. Sauron is known for. So will we see that aspect more with Hullbrand, Sauron, Sauron revealed. knowing that he can change shape or knowing that the magic to change shape exists Maybe. in the world? Where does that lead us for season two? Will we get Anatar right. coming back or will there be flashbacks of that? Yeah, we will see. I had, I think, with respect to the three and their purpose, like, yes, they could be removed from the rest of the season without really impact, or they could be removed and the rest of the season wouldn't be impacted. But I think it also was to add, you know, a little adventure for Nori and co. For sure. Because they needed some danger. Otherwise, their whole season would have been collecting food for the stranger, eating snails, and, yeah, they needed something to really set the path. From these three, we learn that the stranger has to go to Rune to find out answers, basically. And also, because of the aesthetic, the nomad, and the dweller, the stranger can now speak. So yeah. he's yeah. he's speaking again, because there was a veil from that they helped draw out. They unfogged his mind. They unfogged his mind. I had fun with this plot it kind of all happened at once right like we opened with your lord sauron um then the next time we see them is when we basically get everything nori finds him so oh i was wrong about that <laughs> they were not going to drag out that plot point all of it was going to be revealed in the very next episode uh, that surprised me how much they pulled out of that one but yeah it was good so uh, we get there, Sadek gets, you know, we, we see magic, which was fun to see on yes. screen because, you know, as much as a battle is, is good fun, uh, and dodging arrows sideways on a horse, great fun. It's also in a fantasy show. I like to see some magic and like Slim Shady was throwing Ishtar around like there was no tomorrow with that staff, uh, beating the crap out of him. It really worked well for me with Nori going up to, Ishtar and just really hearkening back to the first time she found him, which, it, and, you know, she delivered, Nori had great lines this episode. It's, he says, they've shown me what I am. And Nori says to him, only you can show what you are. You choose by what you do. And then we see Marigold trying to fend off Marshall Mathers with a fucking dagger while he's like got fire ready to launch at her. And uh, Nori continues, and she just says, you're here to help. I know it. And that's when we get the line, and you talked about the wraith-like scream, and Istar says to the, the trio, from shadow you came, to shadow I bid you return. So, yeah, maybe they came from, I don't know what the veiled world is called, like where Frodo goes when he puts on the ring. I don't know if they named it. I don't think they've the ever unseen, named it. The, the unseen world. world. So, all, like, I don't know. It could be like the shadow world. That's maybe where they came from. And that's where he sent them back to. I don't know. I'm just speculating. The response to that from, I think it's the aesthetic, is he is not Sauron. He is the other Ishtar. He is. And then the stranger says, I am good. Yes, that was cute. So really nice, really nice play that really started in the second episode when when Nori and him began their their conversations. Uh, so I it worked well for me. 
like as a, as a season arc, that whole plot worked and I liked it. I liked the the tie-ins that we got. I'm excited to see The Stranger and Nori's adventure. I'm wondering, um, because of course we leave the Harfoots, well, Sadik's dead, uh, so... Yeah, very sad. Very sad. Didn't have to go. And a great actor, too, Lenny. Uh, it, like, it, it's sad to see that character go, because he was starting to grow on me a little bit, uh, but obviously they have to move on. I don't think we're going to see the broader Harfoots to a great degree next season. I, I don't know how they would bring them back. It would be nice to hear Poppy sing, but I... I don't think the Harfoots themselves, it'll be like the, you know, in the two towers, they didn't go back until the scouring of the Shire in, in the books. They never went back in the movies. So I don't think that we'll see the Harfoots en masse next season. That that was kind of made me sad too. So as Poppy becomes the, uh, what, what was, what was uh, Sadik's um, role? The trail finder. He, like the trail finder as Poppy obviously is going to be the new trail finder. Yeah. Because she uh, knows which way to hold a map. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, if that's the standard for trail finding with the Harfoots, I might stand a chance. I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I am not convinced. And you know who also worked for me this episode was, was Largo, which I wasn't expecting. He didn't have a lot of moments in this one, but he did pack up Nori's pack. And uh, him and Marigold sent her off. Marigold had that great line uh, to Nori. Nori says, I'll be, you know, I'll be good. And Marigold says, no, you'll be bold. Right. And it's just a real, like a really nice, because we talked about Marigold when she first kind of came on screen, her combativeness with Nori. And it was really nice to see that also kind of come full yes. circle where she recognizes her daughter's strength and she praises them and she celebrates them. And she just wants Nori to be herself and, and to go on this great adventure because Nori has outgrown the Harfoot life, and she is off not on a journey, because that's with one person, but on an adventure with a stranger to see the world. It just, it was a really lovely little family hug moment. And I think part of their whole plot line was to show the humanity in the world. Like, with the elves, you don't really see it, because they're cold and distant. The dwarves, we did, but it wasn't in a friendly manner, yep. per se. <laughs> um... And then you get a little bit with the Numenorians, but there's so much else going on yes. there. Because they also that... live, they're not immortal, but they live for a few hundred years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So like their threat of immediacy isn't the same sense of urgency that others feel. Right. Others like me, a regular, mortal, stupid human. No, that's that's a nice way to put it, that they, they definitely did show the humanity this episode. I mean, I wasn't expecting that, like, Marigold and Poppy would make me cry, but both times I watched the episode, they got me. And which, your mother. Yeah. I'll tell you, nothing is more awkward than crying in public, like on an airplane, when you're trying to, like, disguise your disgusting snot and tear leaking, <laughs> especially in the wake of <laughs> global pandemic. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was really nice. I don't know. I don't know like if it worked for you, how you felt with, felt with the Harfoots, if it was a little bit over the top or too much. Again, with that whole plot line with the Harfoots, because they didn't interact with anyone, mm -hmm. I need to see where they're going in future seasons to see what the purpose of including them just... in season one is, I, other or... than just building out the world right. and showing us that it's... Well, hobbits are a, are an important part of the world, but in the big scheme of the world, the Harfoots are the, 
the hobbits aren't well known. They're, a lot of people didn't know about hobbits. To them, it was just a fairy tale or just a rumor, right? So, and that is in Tolkien's world that they weren't well known outside of the Shire or to the towns like Bree, which were part hobbit, part human. Most people hadn't seen them, and they keep to themselves, and they hide, and they they don't get noticed. So, mm-hmm. and they did that in the very first episode. So, mm-hmm. hobbits being a, such an important part of Tolkien lore, that that's why they were there for sure. And now, of course, uh, Nori is walking with Gandalf. Uh, over to Rune at the end of the show. So they had to also get uh, Gandalf's traveling buddy and also shows why Gandalf is so partial to the hobbits, right? He And Saruman in the movie said you're so partial because of the, the halfling's leaf. Obviously, what they've structured here is they've because they were so important in helping him find out who he was. That's why he's such a, a fan of the thing. And he'll always yeah. have time for the hobbits. And lays the groundwork for why he'd have that interaction prior to right. Bilbo where like he was there, he was known for fireworks. That's right. Uh, so kind of shows why he actually came to, to visit. Yeah. And I, I liked, again, I liked the tie in with the adventure. I haven't seen all of the Hobbit movies, but everyone knows the line like I'm going on an adventure. Oh, yeah. Actually, when we were in New well, Zealand, do you remember? Yeah. Somebody had to act it out. Uh, it, it is, that is probably one of my few, fine lines from those movies because yeah. frankly those movies were a huge disappointment yeah <laughs> first and... one wasn't bad but... <laughs> you know the tie into the adventure what we see with bilbo and frodo i know that you indicated that a lot of lines in this episode in particular were linked to books and movies that's one that stood out to me just because we know about the hobbits and their adventures and it was really nice to see the inception of it the other thing that stood out to me is how far they seem to travel from last episode where they were hit with molten rock from the Mount Doom Doom explosion to, I think they opened uh, in the Greenwood, which is Mirkwood. Oh, Mm. okay. So, like, they go way north. So I don't know if that's just to kind of show the time progression. Uh, But, like, they went as far as uh, Galadriel and Halbrand did, it would seem. When Galadriel and... Because we knew that they had been gone for six days. Yeah. it took six days to get there without stopping. Yeah, on horseback. Because mm-hmm. uh, they went to Eregion, which is, I think, about parallel with where Mirkwood becomes. Okay. Hmm. Okay. I mean, it could be south of Mirk... Like the south part of Mirkwood and stuff, too. But anyway, yeah. That, and they were just walking. They were obviously trying to catch the long-legged fella. Mm-hmm. But... Um, I, I would be surprised, I guess, that it was that far as well, just because them slim shady motherfuckers, uh, they didn't catch up till up to the Ishtar until then either. Yeah. So, anyway. I, I miss the maps. I really wish that the show went back, like how it was in the first couple of episodes, where we, like, you know, we traveled. Right. When we traveled with them on the map so we could see where everything was going, that works well for me. And I think I talked about this because I suck at geography. And so when they just put names on the screen, it doesn't have the same impact for me. I really liked when we could see exactly what directions we were going and where everything was on the world. And I'm sure, like, I can probably pull it up on X-Ray, but I like, while I'm watching the show, I like to see it. So I'm I'm hoping they bring it back. I'm not sure why they went away from it. Me either. Because it did make so much sense and really showed it. And even with like the uh, Mordor transition, yeah, like if they're going to do that 
just transition. I think it would have been so much cooler to see it on a map. On the map. Where you just see the Southlands and then you can almost like scratch it out and then draw Mordor over where it appears on the map. Yeah. Rather than just put it on screen. I know. No, I totally agree. So, yeah, producers, if you're listening, please change it back for season two because it it worked for me and I liked it a lot. Maps were the second thing that Tolkien put together. Mm Mm-hmm. Languages first, then the maps. Yeah, and incorporating them just... it had it had a nice feel to it that reminded me almost of opening a book every time we were on the map. Like, you know, that feeling of going back to, I'm, I'm thinking Wheel of Time, but like going back to the map at the beginning of the book every time and like tracking where everyone is and just really getting, it gives you a good scope of the size of the world. Well, even with Wheel of Time, when they introduce a new place, yeah. often they'll put a map at the beginning of yeah. that chapter. Like, I think Tar Valen, uh <laughs> When they first introduce it, you see that <laughs> map, we'll call it, and become very prevalent in a lot of fantasy series where you see like a map oh. of where you are. So it, it's there. Yeah. Reader or viewers who have read any kind of fantasy are used to it. I'm not sure why that went away. No. Yeah, me either. Ending moment with Poppy and Nori also worked for me. Like I love a good, nice. love a good female friendship that is not based around relationships with men, and those two women just have a great relationship. It was really awesome, and that's why I think we will see them reunite, not in season two, um, but it will be really nice when when Nori gets to go home and see her her Poppy being like the trail finder and. One of the other lines that stood out to me from that uh, story arc was when the mystics were talking to the stranger, convinced that he was Sauron. Mm-hmm. They said, the more your powers awaken, the more the veils will weaken. Mm, that's right. So right. as he goes back to Mordor and starts to really come into his power, how much more will those veils weaken and how will that impact everything right oh well i mean with that why don't we uh why don't we talk about sauron and galadriel my only thought about okay so yeah they show up at the beginning and and uh, he's being dragged on the horse and uh, galadriel says guy's got a problem bad stab needs some elvish medicine obviously he goes into the houses of the healing and starts getting looked after but his interaction after that to me was way different than in previous episodes he was much more enthusiastic and jumping and being not not pushy but he was being much more on recommendations on how to do things we saw a little bit of his smithery in numenor and he, but he was he was kind of watching here he was kind of telling and so you got Celebrimbor and he does the oh my god you're Celebrimbor oh, i've heard so much about you from and, my former master who could that be? Yeah. But anyway, but he was just, to me, he wasn't, it wasn't subtle. So almost as soon as, uh, you know, he wakes up and he starts doing things, he was acting out of character to what I had thought had been acting in previous episodes. So I thought, okay, this is Sauron. And now we're starting to see the sneakiness because he's trying to get him to change things. And if he builds the rings and he helps him with that, then he can, or was he, he convinced them to change it to the ring. We'll come back to this later because obviously Galadriel's smarter than than him. Uh, but he was trying to get them to, you know, 
change things, put different alloys in it and all this sort of stuff to enhance it. He wasn't, he didn't know exactly what he was doing, but obviously Calabrimbor figured it out because he went beyond what he was being told. But I just found his interaction style was like, okay, uh, before they tell us it's Sauron, I now know he's Sauron because he's acting so weird. Should have listened to me. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the first things with that plot line that I found really weird, Galadriel, he was apparently banished or sent away from Middle-earth. Yes. Just rides right into Eregion. No guards stopping her or anything. Just, like, right into where, I think it's Elrond, is waiting for her. A little concerning that <laughs> you have what is presumably a stranger who shouldn't be here, just allowed to walk right in. I mean, she is the commander of the Northern Armies. Like, girl's got a reputation. So who's going to say no to Galadriel when they understand and what meets it? Like? Gil Galad would have known that she didn't make it to Valinor. Yes. Right? So, um, I also wonder I if that's a deleted scene. Yeah, it could be. Maybe Gil Galad finding out that she... I don't know, like, what the purpose of it would be for TV, so maybe that's why they cut it, but if it even existed. Yes. But, uh, I mean, it would certainly explain why no one was surprised to see her. Except Elrond. But it was good. It was good that uh, when she went back, she did that little research on the family lore of the kings of the south and mm -hmm. realized that there was a big lie. And uh, she just drops it. Doesn't tell anybody else. Oh, I'm so upset. I drop it in the river. Um, good thing Elrond found it, though. Well, I think she was holding it or had it with her uh, when, oh, when, when Halbrand confronted Brand her and yes, she ended yes, up yes. in the river. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I think that's what Elrond was doing there. He was like, why was Galadriel down there to begin with? Yeah. And it looked like he was looking for something. Piecing it together. And then saw the scroll and obviously... Love Delron uh, following through that whole scene of stuff too. Uh, you saw him become more of a leader amongst the elves, setting direction and pushing back a bit more strongly. Yeah, really. Suddenly... I really like that You know, he went to Gilgalad and yep. he said, you owe me. You owe me three months. Which, why, like, why did they think three months was going to be enough time? And why does Gilgalad owe Elrond three months in general? So I think it's to tie in three. Three was very big. Very in big. That episode. Even just like a little throwaway passing line, I think that was a nod to the fans when uh, Galadriel is talking to the historian or mm -hmm. whoever he is. You see. He was just called uh, the Elven Lore Master. Yes. Yeah. I was going to say he's called the Lore Master. You see <laughs> Celebrimbor and Elrond in the background. Mm -hmm. And they say we have was it we have three weeks to do what could take three centuries or something like that. In Tolkien's lore, Anatar is with the elves for three hundred years. Three hundred years, yeah. So yeah. it's just a little oh. subtle thing that where they know that they have to change the timeline. Okay, uh, but you do see the number three reflected a lot Tons. in in that. Uh, so I think that's why it was three months, but also Elrond's ballsiness to quote Gilgalad to Gilgalad. Gilgalad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was pretty pretty good. But but then of course Gilgalad does the old pushback. I don't owe you anything. Or you're not entitled to anything. Uh so Gilgalad did not come out as the better guy better man than I thought he might. Uh, he still has some heroic moments, or he should have some heroic moments unless they've changed him completely. Anyway. I did appreciate <laughs> when he pushed back against wanting the crown. Yep. Like mm -hmm. that was very Regal, I'll say, like, no one should have, no one person should have that kind of power. That, I think, is where he really, he kind of started to come into right. the, the Gilgalad that I pictured and imagined. Right. Also, seeing him with his spear, just randomly walking through. Neat little nod 
Yeah. Yeah, that was good. There was so much stuff in in the whole elven interaction. It's I I could probably watch those segments like ten times and pick out something new every time. There was so much stuff, Laura, and they I I, I agree with you by the way. So that reference to the three hundred years because I, I saw some people yeah I took Anatar was there for three hundred years. Yeah, yeah, it's a TV show, dude. We don't have that much time. Yeah, how boring would that be watching <laughs> his former master Anatar, who taught or worked with Celebrimborn. To do all that. Anyway, there was a ton of stuff that they tied back to, to uh, Tolkien, and, and one of the uh, one of the series of tweets I was reading online, I stayed away until I could watch the the episode because I didn't want anything to be popped out at me. Even though somebody sent me a link on that Charlie Vickers interview, and it's kind of said, "Guess who's Sauron?" But I didn't catch all of it, so I kind of I kind of knew though. That's I believe I had a reaction to that in the in the text exchange i believe i said oh fuck do that oh shoot i was wrong and then and you're never wrong as right and then as i'm watching the episode when the the stranger goes all you have to do is follow your nose i went oh fuck i think i also said he was gandalf so (laughs) well i said that initially and then i said no i talked myself out of it so maybe i just have to go with what my first instincts are and stick with them because the writers can be clever to a degree but they can't be that clever and i'm glad they're keeping it the core characters i will say that i'm glad that they haven't spread out all the because i was looking up hallbrand when he first appeared mm-hmm. and there was no reference and but there were a few characters of that they, they would say a character created for uh brings a power but now we know that's why there's no yeah. restaurant i really oh my gosh i really loved the yeah the the moment of the reveal let's talk about when um, oh, the exchange between Galadriel oh. and Hallbrand are down by the what's the name of the river the Glanduin Anduin Anduin it's the Glanduin okay but I think they shorten it to Anduin okay so it's same thing no they they say Glanduin yeah but oh. I, I think it's oh, referred to as I the see. Glanduin and then it becomes later becomes Anduin, okay. Uh, so, Maybe not for the elves, but for everyone else. Everyone else, run. okay. I will say that was some of the best TV. That whole sequence was some of the best TV I had ever seen. It was fabulous. You I didn't loved it. know which way was up and which way was down. How much was real? Was she really being moved around? How was this and that? You really saw the power of Sauron, right? And he's working with one of the mightiest elves ever. And he is toying with her in her mind. She fought out of it, though. So you did see her strength. One of the two, just like when she turned down the ring in the Lord of the Rings, they did a good job of that. You saw her power. You saw his power. You saw the battle without there being a battle. It was wonderful. It was really nice. That Um, saved that reveal for me. Because in theory, having Hallbrand as Sauron didn't work for me at all. I was like, this is not a good choice. And then watching Charlie Vickers act that out. Man, did he nail it, huh? Wow, this is perfect. Holy personality change. Like, even the start of it, like, I have been awake since before the breaking of the first silence. In that time, I have had many names. And watching his face change. That's a line, by the way, almost word for word out of the Silmarillion. Yeah. Silmarillion, not... uh, Yeah. Oh, wow. That's in the Silmarillion. And actually, the opening chapter of the Silmarillion, the first page, uh, because somebody pointed this out on Twitter, basically describes the plot line that they used for it. So even though they don't have rights to it, they took a thought that was in the Silmarillion and expanded on it. So as a fan, I am glad because... 
hey, all you haters, not only did they stick to Tolkien's lore, they went beyond what they were supposed to do and did an amazing job. And I still have heard that Tolkien Estate is very happy where this is going. So oh, hopefully, yeah? yep. Hoping, hoping that they do. And this is their, his grandkids because all of his kids are gone now. No, I, I, as soon as, oh my, well, a lot of things. But when Galadriel's eyes this entire episode before leading up to that confrontation, Morford Clark just did so much there because you could see her disappointment in herself and you could see that she already knew the answer and that who she has been chasing uh, has been her closest ally. Yes. He is the person who understands her. They have bonded. They are alloyed, you could say. Yep. Two different forces bonded together. It shouldn't work, but it does. Nope. Um, it's she is the gold and silver from Valinor, and he comes in hot with, like, Mithril, we'll call him. And just the way that they function together is really, yeah, like that yin-yang that we talked about last episode when I was very, again, very committed to him being Sauron, just because I love that dynamic, and I'm so excited now that we get to watch this play out. But Morphid Clark, throughout the episode, so pissed at herself, because now that the threat of Sauron is paused for the time being, because she needs to rush her friend to aid, and Mount Doom has exploded, so that's just... Bigger picture things are happening, but the immediate danger is, like right in front of her in saving her friends. So that's what she's focused on. Then he's healed and she can actually take a second to breathe, which she hasn't really had since she jumped off the boat. Right. Since jumping off that boat, she has been full steam about getting to Middle Earth and saving and like being on this big rescue mission. And I think because we, we had talked about this on Friday briefly, I think that's why she hadn't really processed that Halbrand could be Sauron, that she hadn't done the background research on why... Uh, I think he was being pretty coy, though, too. I think he did a good job of hiding his his reveal. Like you it, want to know a fun theory? I wonder if Halbrand was Sauron the entire time, or if he was just someone under Sauron's thrall, where Sauron was manipulating him, and then when uh, the mountain erupted... Hallbrand gets injured. That's right. And we don't see it. And exactly. he's just found on the he's road. He's just found. Then it becomes Sauron. And that would also explain why he suddenly changes in his, his delivery style. and his style. Because hmm. the other part of that is uh, with the Celebrimbor reveal, uh, you see Hallbrand talking to Celebrimbor. Yeah. And they talk about uh, alloys and how to make alloys, but they never talk about the unseen world, and they never uh, talk about uh, of the flesh, not over the flesh. Yes, yeah. So that line's never there, but that's what gives it away. And Celebrimbor says he can't recall where he heard it. He thought it was talking to one of his smiths. So that was very reminiscent of Bilbo to me after uh, the ring takes hold of him, and he. He's talking to Gandalf when he's trying to give it up. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if Sauron has been influencing and kind of wiping his mind for a little while, and now he's here. Well, except except that uh, he has he the sigil he, of a dead guy. Yeah. Uh, so he killed he killed the guy a long time ago for that sigil. Uh, so over a thousand years. Right. So no, I I think there's some element of that that maybe it was a body that he in, inhabited because we don't really know what Sauron is but I, I think I, I think that theory may go a little 
little far just because, yeah, he's been in this role for a long time. And he did say, you don't know what I've done. You don't know, you know, mm -hmm. what I did to come do this. So, yeah, he's been, uh, he's been doing a ton of stuff. Right? You know what? One thing I'll say about Sauron, boy tells no lies. He has been, he was truthful. And like, that's what I loved about the Partial call out. Truth, yeah. Right. But that's what I loved about the call out when they're down by the river. Because he says to her, he's like, I told you that I picked this up off a dead man. I, like, I told you, I can't remember um, other, like, what yeah, else he says. two or three things, yeah. But, like, I told you this. I told you this. I told you that you didn't know what I had done. I told you, um, you know, that I didn't, I didn't want to leave Numenor. I wanted to stay there. I didn't want to go back. I told you that. And all of these things. And it's like... I loved that we were getting a little bit of, like, Sauron's perspective in that conversation. Like, I was not being deceitful. I was being upright and honest with you. I mean, I didn't say the whole truth. Right. But, I you know, lie. I, I didn't lie. Pulled an Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, the other line... And, and we also I, saw the batshit crazy part of him, too, right? Like, with, with Oh, my gosh, just, yeah. You know, Look at me! But I've seen that somewhere else before. <laughs> The other line I loved does not like to be ignored from <laughs> Hallbrand is when he's like fawning over Celebrimbor. Yes, uh, and he says, "To tell you the truth, I can hardly believe it. Someone like me here working with the Elven mm. Smiths of Eregion." Mm. And you're like, "Oh, that's neat." He's on first watch. You're like, "Yeah, he's because it's." Idolizing Didn't we know it. at that point? We had a good idea, yeah, but you're I... like, it could be because he's idolizing it and like sees it, and then when you look back on that. On the second watch, it's like someone like me here influencing you. You're yeah. a guest. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Crazy. That was pretty funny. Well, actually, let's talk about the confrontation. Uh, we've talked about it in, you know, sweeping statements, but not so much the nitty gritty. So they're down by the river. Sauron invades Galadriel's mind. They go back to Valinor. He's, you know, he cosplaying as Finrod. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, and trying to twist what Finrod had said to her about that we saw in the first episode, right? That was revealed. And she breaks free of that. And, like, it's it's very heart-wrenching because, again, you see Morfid Clark in Valinor. And she, you can almost see that Galadriel wants to believe. Yes. She wants to believe that her brother is still alive, that they're still in Valinor, that there still could be this happiness. And, like... You see this light and joy in her face. Very well done. And then because of her inner strength, you know, she, she quashes that and she says, but you're dead. You're dead. You're not here. And then they're on the boat. Um, and that's when, yeah, we get the look at me. Yeah, the little uh, homage, the image in the water uh, of her and oh. him. Uh, thing. He also said in that interview that wasn't him in the, in the, uh, Suit. In the armor. It was just CGI. Yeah, he goes, yeah, it was really damn good CGI, but no, it wasn't me. I can't wait to get back and try that suit on, is what he said. <laughs> so, <laughs> he hasn't done it. But yeah, that was that was awesome. I will go back that first episode. I think it was the first episode that he made a reference to in that interview that said uh, um, there is... Well, a... he's in the second episode, because Galadriel just jumps off the boat right, the right, first right, right. episode. Uh, second episode, there, he's near a mirror or something, and there's an image of Sauron that appears in the... Uh, in the thing so there's one of those little split second things and apparently there's a i wonder if it's when they're in numenor because that would yeah. be when he's walking so episode three or something yeah, there, yeah anyway there's a thing and there's a 
there's a, an image of Sauron in one of those that I hadn't seen. And the internet didn't really pick up on nope. because I feel like that would have nope. very definitely uh, Fight Club reveal yeah. there. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, like on the on the boat itself. So when they're talking before, I mean, in place of a dark lord, you will have a queen. Yes. Uh, man, I loved that bit and like the temptation, and you can see for Galadriel that line stuck with her. For thousands of years. Yeah. That line and that experience. Yes. yes. That was very good. It was beautifully because done. I don't think it was in the movies, but in the book, uh, when she's talking to Frodo, uh, and Frodo first sees the eye in yeah. the mirror and he's being drawn down, uh, she says, I say to you, Frodo, I perceive the Dark Lord and know his mind, or his mind that concerns the elves, and he uh, gropes ever to see me and my thought but still the door is closed. So she figured out a way, and after that she reveals that she has the elven ring to right. Frodo, so it could be that with the help of the ring she's able to keep him keep out. Him she out. doesn't get that for a while, right? She's, she's not the first recipient of that ring. She gets it handed down and, to her. Yeah, we'll see how that plays out in the show, who gets them initially yeah. and, and how that goes. But um, yeah, she figured out a way to keep him out after that experience. Yes. And it's very interesting like knowing that part of it uh that when sauron comes back in the third age sets up dol Guldur in the south of mirkwood it's basically so he can keep an eye on her uh so their link linked is ongoing and very present in the books yes. if you want to look for it yeah no that was that's a really good really good point and now you understand and so kudos again to the writers now you understand the, the 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 mutual respect they have for and the closeness they have. So good for them on that arc because it shows why Galadriel is able to lock him out. It shows uh, why she understands his thought process and how he works. Uh, she she experienced it firsthand more than any other character this season before he does his reveal. So really well done. I just that that part was was excellent. Yeah. And looking back and knowing that he is Sauron and that he is evil, it makes me think of it less as a romantic relationship and more of a power relationship. And yeah. he makes that very clear. Oh, he does. Uh, oh, very clear. In that line where she's like, and you will make me a queen. And he's like, yes, you will help me hold on to the light and I will help you hold on to power. Yes. And he yeah. thinks that's what's going to seduce her is the power because with him, that's all. That's all that matters. matters. That's what it's all about. It's, the power and evil can never truly love anything but power. So it'll be interesting on a rewatch to see kind of how they do it. And obviously for TV, they'll focus in on. I mean, there, things, like there was yeah. definitely tension between them. And like, I still think it's, I've been saying sexual, but maybe well, there's an attraction. Lusted. There is an attraction yeah. between the two of them that like, that's what they have to have insane chemistry because what that attraction is like you know you help me hold on to the light like there is something that sauron sees in galadriel that he wants like that is yep. his equal someone who has been alive almost as long as he has uh if not as long as he has who is as strong as he is and can shape things as much as he can uh and that's why i think it's not necessarily sexual it's that power draw if they can be a power couple, which when he is like, oh, two rings, you can almost see it as a marriage proposal. Right, right. <laughs> and then she's like, eh, maybe not two. Three ensures balance. Yes. And I love that that quote. 
when Galadriel says, let's make three, because one ring will corrupt, two will divide, and three is balance. And I really, really love that symmetry. It explains, you know, maybe it was shoehorning it in to fit, but I enjoyed the reasoning behind the three elvish rings. Well, also, I believe it was Hallbrand's character that suggested two. Yes. So she outfoxes him because the three will separate it and he won't know. So he didn't know how it ends up. So he's not aware that there are three. So she also did that because she wanted to do something that he wouldn't be aware of. I mean, and how they do a earth, earth, wind, and uh, water and all that stuff is... Uh, they didn't go into that so much. They didn't talk about the jewels and what each jewel meant and all that stuff. That'll come out. Um, I did think, I will say, I did think that the jewels, not that they were cheesy, because I get them, but that felt, that felt like really trying to make it work. He just happens to have only three jewels that he's collected in his time on Middle Earth. They're sitting out there. They're the earth, wind, fire color. Like, come on. Well, also, Holbrand seeing them and... Maybe he was playing coy. He's like, oh, they're the most beautiful things I've ever seen. You were with Morgoth, who had Silmarils in his crown? That's right. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that is his lie. <laughs> so he could have told a lie. <laughs> that was it. Like, that felt a little... Um, I understand, again, why the writers would have done it. It would have been weird to introduce that earlier, I guess. But it did feel a little rushed to me. Another interesting thing from that interaction... Uh, with all the talk of power and making Galadriel a queen, she never takes the title of queen. Yeah. Right. That's right. They become lord and lady, her and Celeborn yeah. of, of Lothlorien. Uh, and so that's a nice subtle hint, too, where, it, like, queen, I can see almost becoming, like, a bad word for her because it's tied to that power. So much so. So then she, I, I will be the lady of the wood. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. So let's touch on Elrond briefly here um you know he kind of plays background in this episode he he helps facilitate things but i mean the main focus is <laughs> he the... plays us trying to figure out what's going <laughs> yeah. on right so he's he's explaining to us exactly what's happened and he's kind of caught up to things and you know oh that's what this means oh that's right what yeah. right and so galadriel you know says to him after he's asking her basically like what happened with hellebrand why isn't he going to be coming back here um, she just says, you spoke to me once of a mistake, one you said you would not make again. And basically, don't ask me, bro. This is a trust relationship. You said you trusted me, so prove it by not asking me questions. And Elrond, you know, lives up to that promise. He asks her nothing. He just goes and does the digging himself and then has the scroll. And Galadriel sees him holding the scroll, so she knows she's put it together. And now I'm like, I'm like, okay, so he knows that she knows that he knows, but when will they talk to each other about what they know? Like, is that going to be a conversation in season two? Oh, yeah. Are we going to get the conversation where Elrond's like, so Sauron, huh? <laughs> Fun. <laughs> That's who you went to as your new bestie after I put you on a boat? Well, he oh. rescued me. <laughs> um, so I don't, I don't know. I don't know basically what, the purpose was in delaying Elrond's, the reveal to Elrond and having him find out by himself if that was for the audience to really uh, piece to, like, I don't think she wanted to admit that she had been, not fooled, but she had been deceived and had fallen for the deceit to a certain level. I just don't think she wanted to admit her weakness. 
I mean, she does have foibles. That would be her. She's very proud. So. I think there's also a time crunch. Oh, yeah, true. To yeah. explain what happened, are they going to stop making the rings? Right. Which is what they deem can save the elves, or are they going to adjust it to that three and now hide them from Sauron? Maybe act like they never made them. So, so yeah, speaking of those three rings and and what's going to happen with them, I mean, I don't know the timing of the forging of the rings within lore or canon. What comes next, I think, is the, dwelven, the, the dwarven... Well, I think the three were forged last in the Tolkien mythology. Uh, Anatar was with the elves for like 300 years from like 1200 to 1500 or something like that. And then they forged uh, the nine... And the seven. So the nine for men, the seven, seven for, for the dwarves. dwarves. By the way, I loved them doing a chant at the end of the... Uh, oh, the, the song? The song. That was yeah. great. Putting that to music was awesome. Anyway. Um, and then Galadriel never trusts Anatar. Uh, Gilgalad and Elrond never trust Anatar. And they figure out something's wrong. And he goes and starts forging the one. And then they forge the three in secret. Oh. So they did forge the three in secret with right. Celebrimbor, obviously. Uh, and Galadriel was an active part of that with Elrond. Loved that. Glad that they, they did that together. So those three know. Gilgalad Gil doesn't know yet. He will find out soon enough because he, he decides who takes the rings. But I thought that part was well done. But yes, I thought it was a little out of order. But th we just... But do we like that we the I, three I like rings it. are now being used to save the elves? Like, do we like that tension being I, brought I, in? I act uh, that made it the fact that a little bit of mithril was used to make the rings, and that by putting them on three key people, it keeps the elves safe. In which is one that is one of the things the. Uh, uh, the rings would do. I think Galadriel refers to it as, you know, Elvendon, like safe for Elvendon on, on Earth. That's why Rivendell is safe. That's why Lothlorien is safe and thriving, even as the world falls apart right. around so them. So I like, so to me, they tied that thread together very nicely to Tolkien lore. Okay. It really puzzled me when it first came out, going, what the heck? But now I, I get it. Well done beautifully done way to give a tribute to Tolkien. I don't still know about the original, um, you know, the little fairy tale they told, but uh, now they have enough that will keep the, the elves in Middle-earth. So that's what those rings are going to do. So it's great. Yeah, they're going to change the order, but that's okay because they'll focus on men, they'll focus on the thing. And I, I actually, th I'm rethinking that. It depends on how they go after, how Sauron goes after Mithril next episode to get the elves to hoard and and d dive dig deeper dwarves. or is he going yeah the dwarves or is he going to start corrupting men because men are the easiest yeah and then men are weak exactly and then so as he's corrupting the men then he'll try because he's that their rings don't have to be as powerful right or does he falter a little bit with the dwarves are so stubborn then he refines it so i don't know which way they'll go on that but Next season will be a different set of rings. That's what I'm wondering. Now with the rings. So season one, we end on three rings for the elves. Season two, are we going to end with nine rings for men? Are we going to end with seven rings for dwarves? Or are we just going to... Like, are we going to get the forging of rings at the end of every season? Or do we think season two will be quicker? I don't know. Because the other thing with Halbrand going back to Mordor 
he's got a guy elf there that doesn't really like him at all. So I killed think, him once. I think part of the part of the thing he's got to do is is manage Adar, right? How he's going to kill him or do whatever he's got to do. He's going to have to overthrow Adar, and he's got men there that worship him, right? Mm-hmm. So Waldrag included. How will that? Oh God, Waldrag's going to kill Adar, isn't he? How will that divide? How will that play out? Because that's going to have to be some of his focus. Maybe they'll do it off screen. That yeah, he consolidates his power in Mordor. Also. No, I don't know. Adar had but... too much of an important role. He has to be killed on screen. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that'll be a lot of his focus, and because of that. And the men down there, I think if we get any rings in season two, it will be for men. Men. But it'll be interesting to see how it's done. Yeah. Because do the elves forge them and give them to men to help fight down there and overthrow? Or does Sauron, Hallbrand have a direct hand in it? Somehow, either as a shapeshifter, maybe they'll change it so he actually does a lot of the forging. Right. And gives it out from there. Um, that makes me think, just because you said that, about the dwarves now, too. Because we know Elrond and Durin are going to be back together. Oh, for sure. At some point. And Elrond gets a ring? Uh, eventually. A, yeah. Eventually. So, oh, okay. in Lord of the Rings, Galadriel, Elrond, and Gandalf. Even have the Gandalf's three not elven. A, so even though Gandalf's not an elf, he, he, he is he's given fire. Um, Elrond gets his from Gilgalad, I believe. I believe Gilgalad okay. starts out with one. Then there's and, the the, the, uh, the guy, Kierden. Kierden, the guy, the, the shipwright, right? Uh, who we ha- who we we've talked about, um, big player who hasn't made his appearance yet. Maybe they might do a morph character two. or something. Yeah. Um, but with anyway with Elrond and Durin, depending on how they do this, like is it Elrond who brings this? Can I call it a ring technology? <laughs> it brings this technology to the dwarves about here's how you incorporate mithril, and this is how we've protected ourselves. And but he that... didn't know how he didn't in the end he didn't know how Celebrimbor did it. No. So Hallbrand was gone by the time Celebrimbor. No, no, no. Not, it like I'm talking about Elrond bringing it to Durin well, and saying like. But we don't know what we... happens to Durin. Oh, he gets thrown mm-hmm. out of Khazad Doom. Elrond right? does, yeah. Well, so does Durin. They didn't show that. They didn't really show it, but like his dad, he ripped the rips it off, like prince plate off him. Yeah. Yeah. So does Durin go seeking his friend Elrond up in Eregion? Then he finds out that's his ticket back into the dwarven kingdom. Yeah. So that's why I don't know because I don't know that the dwarven the dwarves rings worked as well as what Sauron wanted, but the men's wings worked exactly as wanted. So that's why I don't know what order they'll go in. So but I, I agree with you. My first thought was the men, because that'll allow them to start to manipulate. But maybe there's one more falter in the ring making that doesn't come overcome the dwarves issue, or could be that they just have such a stubborn mind that nothing would, right? In that they're little mini Galadriels all over the place. Uh, so I, I don't know which way they'll go, but it'll, that'll be fun to watch either one. Uh, and of course, if it's the men, then it's like, you know, just see how weak we really are. Yes, <laughs> we really get manipulated. Not, uh, not great. Um, well, I think we'll, I mean, we'll definitely come back for some more Rings of Power episodes, especially as we start getting information about season two. 
I anticipate we'll get a little bit more after whenever season two of Wheel of Time drops, quite honestly. <laughs> uh, we know they're in the middle of filming right now. I anticipate season two will probably take nine months to a year to film in totality. And they just it'll, started a few it, weeks it'll ago. It'll be either this time next year, so they'll try to keep the September thing, or they'll move it more towards November for the U.S. Thanksgiving Christmas kind of thing, right? So it'll be it'll, it'll be next fall. I can't imagine trying to stretch it out. Hopefully they don't rush it, though. They're, they're saying 2024. Yeah. Oh, okay. So spring 2024? I'm, I'm thinking sure. 2024 might be realistic, just with knowing how long it takes to film a, and then to if edit. They, if they took so much care in making season one... That took three years? Yeah. And, and they've laid their plot lines and now they, you know, they're going, and if, as long as they continue to deliver this high quality of writing and, uh, set design and everything, phew, I'll wait 18 months. Just keep doing it right. That yeah. was this, my summary of the season, really good. It actually beyond my expectations, it, it outperformed what I was, what I was expecting. It was way better than I thought, but yeah. especially after watching the first couple of episodes, I thought, ah, this, this, be, this is fine. But it, it's all right. But man, the the last three episodes, fabulous. Yeah, the way again, like I like I said at the beginning of this, just how circular yeah. this whole season was. How everything came around. You can see that they took their time. They knew where each plot was going, and they brought it back home. It wasn't uh, like unfortunately, and we will get into this Wheel of Time. But unfortunately, what we saw with Wheel of Time, especially episode seven and eight, which were filmed after the shutdown oh, um, we came back so and the much. the intense rewriting that had to be done for those episodes that continued on the day of shooting sometimes where scenes had to be rewritten just because of filming requirements that the lord of the rings didn't have to worry about because they were in new zealand filming right. where everything was shut down so they didn't have to worry about how many people could touch on set and that's why Egwene had to spoilers for wheel of time season or episode eight uh, that's why Egwene had to channel to heal nynaeve instead of what had been the original plan which was using herbs okay so she had planned to use herbs that day like in the morning went to set planned to use herbs filming restrictions changed so she couldn't touch her and so it had to be like channeling so all of those things that we saw with wheel of time that made the ending for me very disruptive we didn't get in rings of power no i really loved it i thought it was a very solid first season i'm so excited to see where we're going very excited to see where we're going uh i like how they kind of broke away from that traditional tv finale yes mm. yes we had a three episode finale because uh, last yeah. time I was here and I talked, I was like, they're going to That's right. <laughs> a Two Towers finale. It's going to be two episodes of Mount Doom exploding. Bronwyn, uh, Arondir, and it's going to end with Mount Doom exploding. Next episode, Mount Doom explodes. You're like, well, where do they go now? Yeah. And I think they've done a decent job of getting us there uh, and really allows for that rewatch as well yes one of the other fun things i think that doing it this way allows for is for fans and creators to cut their own pieces and really put timelines and stuff together for them uh which is huge in the tolkien lore like i think with lord of the rings it was revised two or three times after its first publication because fans noticed that the moon phases yeah were different <laughs> yes <laughs> And, and so he had to, he actually spent quite a few months rewriting the timelines to get it right. Because 
he was a bit of a finicky guy that way too. So yeah, no, it, phenomenal. Uh, the paperback versions I first had were in 1972, which were the third edition, which had the, that was the first edition that had the timelines correct. Okay. And yeah, it was all tied to, you know, Frodo and Sam see a half moon. Aragorn sees a three quarter moon. They're supposed to be at the same time. Fans are like, nah, that's not right. Nerds. Yeah. Nerds since 1955. That, 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 that is the world of Tolkien. God bless. I will add one last thing. I, I, I talked about the song. Loved the song. Loved the song. And that made up for me the scene of Halbrand walking into Mordor really unnecessary <laughs> just uh, <laughs> the big cape over his shoulder walking over the mountains really his, really his uh, too. well yeah would you say that is was you, that your thorn of the that episode? was my thorn of the episode was <laughs> the scene of of uh Hallbrand walking into mordor i love the little fire in the eye thing i thought that was great so we got to see the eye for a second love that could have just had him you know standing doing something but no they had to show him walking almost like uh marion or uh sam and frodo walking towards <laughs> mordor and this stuff and then you see him stepping over the mountain rocks as he's walking with his cape on change of hair starting to head towards like yeah that was overdone not as bad as the mordor reveal but still but not it your was fave not my favorite what was your fave what was your rose that whole battle, that mind battle, Galadriel and and Sauron, magnificent. I, I I could not have imagined it any better. Now, like I guess I've only watched it once. I've saw glimpses as I was installing a new thermostat, and you were rewatching it today, skipping around. But I haven't given it that that. that like I'm gonna watch this episode a couple more times mm-hmm. just because. Wow! But that that whole battle, and actually, uh, you reminding me about uh, the lines from. Uh, when when she's talking to Frodo in in uh, Lothlorien in Fellowship of the Ring, tied together so well, they they just show the strength of her. They show the strength and the craftiness of him, his power, her power, her strength to the light. She gets the opportunity to you know have power and and she doesn't want it. She has a really good moral compass, and she keeps to it, and she always keeps to it, which is phenomenal. So. By the way, we also saw a little bit of Gandalf's moral compass too, where he could have gone to peril, mm-hmm. but he, uh, I am good, right? I am so good. again, Gandalf. I am Groot. <laughs> yeah, that's actually what it reminded me. <laughs> <Same> said, <season. laughs> <laughs> what? Anyway, uh, so they did a good job of honoring those characters uh, in both the movies and the books and that stuff. So uh, yeah, thanks for that reminder. But such a good battle. Rose and Thorn, Peregrine. Uh, Rose just the sets and the attention to detail mm. that they did, um, which really brought the world to life. Uh, growing up with the Peter Jackson movies, they were amazing and like seeing those sets and how they took that same effort and mentality. Do you remember going to the Castle Loma tour and we getting to see the props? Yeah. 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 And, and just how amazed, like how much detail was even in the small things like Anduin's hilt and stuff like that. Or Anvil, uh, hilt, uh, uh, sorry. Uh, uh, what Narsal becomes. Yes, that um, one. Aragorn's. Aragorn's well, sword, yes. Yeah. But that becomes. I think it was still broken at that point. So we'll call it Narsal. Different conversation. Gus from... Your the cat? podcast Wheel Takes. No, not my cat. <laughs> uh, Gus from Wheel Takes was saying, because uh, he and his wife, Allie, are um, in the 
film industry, I'll say. Oh, okay. Loosely. Gus is now acting. Allie, uh, Allie writes scripts and edits them for others. But Gus was talking about the attention to detail with respect to Lord of the Rings in their latest podcast episode, how they used to go and just get things off Craigslist. And then you had something like Lord of the Rings and the inside. I can't remember. Um, who's the guy who gets corrupted by the Palantir that we talked about? Uh, Denethor. Yeah. So Denethor's robe on the inside of it where no one would see was like woven silk just so Beautiful. that he would feel more kingly in his costume and it was something that the camera would never capture it was just for the actor and it's that attention to detail that i think we're definitely seeing in rings of power Very so much. that's your rose and is really the sets. building the sets yeah oh. yes incredible and some of them multiple sets so like when the harfoots are running around mm -hmm. and maybe one of the reasons they killed sadik off that actor six foot four Oh. <laughs> and he's supposed to be one of the smallest creatures. They had to build two sets for that entire right. thing. Right, yeah, yeah. One at human level for uh, the mystics and the stranger, and then one at one and a half times size for, for the Harfoots. Well, that makes sense because on um, in the New York Comic Con panel when they were on, they were talking about the, their favorite moments of filming and Marigold said it was when they were doing their migration because that was the first time that all five actors, Marigold, I think Poppy, uh, Nori, uh, Stranger, and um, Largo, all we're five together. of them were able to do it together because every time otherwise they, they would have to like film separately and it was a whole thing, but the migration they were able to do just with perspective filming. So... Yeah. So, yeah, that attention to detail, really appreciated. Uh, Thorn, I think I have to say the whole Harfoot plotline, because I don't know the purpose of it yet. Except tied totally. into the show. Yeah. Like, it's there for us as fans, but it's it hasn't interacted with the bigger plot lines at all yet. Yeah. Well, it's the, but the Nori part's coming. Right, because she's off now with Gandalf. Yeah, so it'll Sorry, come, and wizard. we'll have to see how that plays out. How it plays into um, it. Are you looking forward to when they settle? The reason that the Hobbit holes are round, are round is because of the wagon wheels. Are you looking forward to that kind of coming together when they finally settle in the Shire? May, I don't know, because I don't know if that will be the reason. Mm -hmm. um, like, just from a structural standpoint. Having when built them, I got to tell you, they're they're tricky little buggers to build round holes. When you're building them into wood, but if you're going into Ground. the side of a thing, yeah. it might just be more practical because you can add things like a keystone up top to support it. Right. Given what they have, um, so we'll see, and we'll see if we even get there in. Oh, maybe season five, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not <laughs> anytime soon. That's for sure. Um. Yeah, I think Rose, for me, is just going to be being right. I <laughs> love being right. I love being correct. Uh, even though I was wrong about so many things, so, so many things this season, including where every episode was going, uh, notably about a Ron Deer, but I guess also now Beric and a Sealdor. Uh, wrong about general direction, but happy I picked up on Saul Brand from the get-go. That Love the reveal, exactly like you said, the, the conversation between him and Galadriel, the, the 
the respect and fear I think they both have for each other it, is me, palpable. By the way, remember when you were talking about the tension, and I said mm-hmm. it almost looked to me this is like three episodes ago, like she was looking at him trying to figure out mm-hmm, who mm-hmm, he was mm-hmm. or what more about him. So they did. When we go back to rewatch, because I know we will. Oh yes. Uh, I, I'm going to watch her and his interactions more just to see. Is it sexual tension or is she trying to figure him out and is he trying to figure her out? Like, mm-hmm. I, just see how those Continue go. to put yeah. the, Well, even even in the episode before we find out he's Sauron today, when he leans in and he puts his hand on her and he... I can't remember... Uh, I, I don't have the exact words that he whispered in there, but even that was like, it's chemistry. It's electric. Yeah. There is something there that draws the two of them together. I'm going to call it sexual tension just because <laughs> I'm still shipping it. Power, t- power tension. Uh, Maybe you're just drawn it. to power and that's... <laughs> well, your well there you go. Yeah, could be. Could be. I don't think I could be a Galadriel. I don't think I could say no. <laughs> um, and Thorn, yeah, I don't know. Most things work for me. Thorn was not seeing my boy Beric and now being left to... And Noah Ronwen. Noah Ronwen, but, you know, with, with Beric, I don't know what's happening to that poor horse. Like, now I have to wait, what, 18 months, maybe even 24, to find out where my boy's gone? What happens to Isildur? Uh, what happens to Durin? Fuck Isildur. What happens to... No! Aaron? Beric! <laughs> Beric! We'll we'll come back to this, like I said. We'll talk we'll have a few more Rings of Power episodes just as we get back on the hype train when we find out more information. One thing that uh, my buddy Jake suggested that we do is have an episode comparing the reveal of the Dragon Reborn in the Wheel of Time to the reveal of Sauron in episode eight of the Rings of Power. So how those reveals kind of worked and played against each other. Um, But that will be a thing for for probably early 2023. We're going to take a couple weeks off here just to enjoy processing the Rings of Power. And then we will be back in November to talk about Wheel of Time. So we will be back dissecting all eight episodes of the Wheel of Time, watching through it week by week. You can join us in our rewatch as we go. And then we will be entering the world of Robert Jordan once more. Hopefully with season two. Hopefully with news of season two. I think I think the way we can time this, we should hopefully lead into an early season two review or uh, drop. I'm really hoping they give us the release date soon, but uh, my bet is April. I'm I'm putting it in now, locking it in. Uh, Wheel of Time season two, when, April twenty twenty three. April. There you go. <laughs> I thought you said it was dropping on Christmas. Yes, well, that was my hope, but I actually don't think uh, I think we're. Too, they would have been announcing it. it was just coming. hedging your bets so that if it does drop, then well, you can be like, "I was right." See, I, I did it. Uh, no, I think if it was Christmas, they would have dropped that at New York Comic Con. I don't think they're ready, so that's okay. I'm willing to wait for right. greatness. Do it right. Don't fuck it up. Do it right. Don't put it up against another fantasy series because it will inevitably draw comparisons. Rings of Power, House of the Dragon. Ah, oh, both so good. Oh boy. Oh, boy. All right. Well, thank you, friends, so much for listening to Feather and Mountain. You can find us on all major podcasting platforms. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and a little nook in the Wheel Reads Discord server. All of the links are in the description. You can email us at featherandmountainpodcast at gmail.com. And you can email any comments with respect to your rage that I was right to suck it at delusionsofgrendelknowseverything.com. Thanks so much. We will see you soon. 
Bye. Farewell for now. Au revoir.